Hello everyone, I'm Dennis and this is Shif Ali, a show about Sheffield Startup's second episode. The reception of episode 1 was better than I expected, and I have to shout out Sheffield Digital, who are very supportive as an organization in publishing my pod everywhere possible. I want to remind my listeners every week that the mission of this show is to inform everyone about the great companies that are being started in Sheffield, thus increasing the connectedness in the city, and hopefully contributing to a better ecosystem. My guest today is Maxim Sitch, who is the founder of a quantum tech startup, EJIC. Max introduces us to the complex yet fascinating world of quantum, and unveils to us how this technology has the potential to change everything around. There was a small sound issue I discovered when editing the podcast, on few occasions you could hear a popping sound when Max is talking, but hopefully that is not too much of a problem. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him, and I'm sure that you will enjoy what he has to say, so here it is, Shiv Ali, episode 2. So we're here today with Max. Hi, Max. How are you? Hi, uh, very well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's all my pleasure, Max. Uh, so I want to start by asking you to just present yourself and give us a bit of information about your background prior to EJIC. Right. So um, before starting EJIC, I used to work as a, as a postdoc, uh, as a research fellow at the University of Sheffield. And actually, the, I quit the job. Uh, at some point and I went and I said, well, look, I'm going to start my entrepreneurship, uh, you know, journey. Uh, and so I did, and that's not my first company, uh, that I've, that I've started since then, but it was pretty dynamic and pretty quick on how it evolved and how we, you know, came back, uh, uh to, to, to the roots and started looking at how we can uh, bring some of the amazing research we had in Sheffield. So before that, I did my PhD in, in quantum physics, uh, also here in Sheffield. Um, so in the same group uh, of Maurice Skolnick, who's is one of the co-founders here uh, in Egypt. So, and before that, I had a master's in quantum physics, and, and I never thought I'd be actually working in quantum physics at the time. Uh, but I did it because it was sort of interesting. It was uh, like a little specialty thing on the master's course. So I'm originally from Ukraine. Um, so I was born in Kiev, and this is where I've uh, done my master's degree as well. And so, you know, I knew somebody in Sheffield, um, came to see people here, you know, um, and I got a really nice offer uh, to join and do the, the, the PhD research here. Uh, so, I'll, you know, I've done all sorts of things, um, you know, that student things. Uh, I also did a degree in economics and finance as a distance learning from London School of Economics. Um, and at some point, uh, there wasn't enough. So with your academic background, having degrees in, in economics and uh, all your education in, in quantum physics, what, uh, what was your drive behind, behind building your own company? Well, you really want to want to be on an adventure. And I think uh, there's a really good comparison here about the age of discovery. So, you know, the, back then there were people who would do all sorts of things, but then there were crazy guys who would uh, put a ship together and sail west or east, hoping to find some, you know, big riches somewhere there. Uh, that, that, yeah, you've got to want to do that. And tell us more about EJIC then. What was the problem you were trying to solve? How did it happen? So with uh, with EJIC, I mean, like with every business, you, you start, well, if you started a startup, why did you do that? And what problems does it solve? Um, 
in this sense, for a journey for Rijek uh, isn't exactly that straightforward because it comes from the, the background of this many years of research and many, uh, actually decades and many, many person hours that were put into this. But it's also all over the place in terms of the quantum technologies or what we call quantum 2.0 technologies. And they, uh, the problem they solve uh, is the is the same problem that the iPhone solved uh, back in the day. It's it's about uh, you know creating or iPod for example. It's about creating new opportunities and new capabilities, which we all crave. That's the the big thing that the quantum brings. It it solves the problem of craving of advancement. Tell us actually now a little more about the world of quantum technology. So. For people that don't really know anything about it, we hear about quantum technology in the news all the time. And, you know, last year, the news around uh, Google achieving what they called quantum supremacy. So just open us to this to this world of this technology. Sure. So uh, actually, one of the very pressing needs for EGIC to appear in a shape and, and things that we do is because Google is uh, and others who are building quantum computers are doing what they do. So kind of rolling back a little bit. So what is quantum? So quantum, to, or actually quantum is all over the place. So quantum physics underpins how transistor works, how cameras, CCD cameras work and all that stuff. So it's all quantum, uh, but it's not what we call quantum 2.0. So based on that knowledge, we all know, for example, the world consists of electrons, you know, the atoms and, and, and all, the, all these particles that are around us. And those are described coming from the uh, quantum theory. And so what happens when you, you know, if you take any, any you know, a table or a, a light a bulb or something, it consists of billions and billions of these things. So when you send a signal over the phone with a copper line, it sends, you know, hundreds of millions of electrons in each pulse. Now, what happens when you isolate it down to single electron? or single photon in this case, that's, that's what we do, or single ion or single atom, they behave differently. And the easiest way to think about it is like the big numbers over small numbers. So if you have a crowd of people, the behavior is different when you're just on your own. I mean, it's not really, it's not truly scientifically correct explanation, but this is why uh, things are working differently in quantum. And so there is plenty of uh, effects that are there, which are which actually don't have really any analogy in our real, you know, in the life how we can perceive it with our own senses, like with what we can see, feel, touch. And so all these technologies that come out of that and the sensing, this quantum sensing, you know, you can see behind the walls, you can see around the corner, uh, you know, quantum radars uh, or microscopy or, you know, super sensitive gas detection, leak detection, or even, you know, seeing beneath the earth uh, without, you know, with really high precision and seeing where all the, you know, the pipes and infrastructure is there. Or quantum computing, which really unleashes the power, uh, which you cannot achieve in any high performance computing, any data center at all. And that one actually brings a lot of dangers because you, you know, the first thing that uh, probably sparked this quantum revolution is, um, is the work by um, a guy called Shore. So he developed an algorithm uh, for quantum computers, and it's seemingly, uh, you know, it, it's very, uh, you know, it's just an algorithm, right? It, it didn't have anything. But what it did is, it's very fast factorizing of numbers. 
and that is the thing that underpins our current encryption in digital world so everything and uh, like that relies on, on the fact that it's too long to factorize numbers so rsa encryption all that stuff and so symmetric asymmetric so it's going to be rendered invalid and so rendering all the encryption that we have now uh, is a big problem because without that there's no our lives are exposed there's no privacy there's no nothing there's no bank transaction there's no you know it's a collapse it's a complete collapse and this is where quantum encryption comes in because that thing you cannot break with any quantum computer and it just doesn't it's unbreakable uh, it's unconditionally secure from that perspective and this is what we do and what about the thing you said about google actually so you said that EGIC also exists because of what uh, Google said or what Google did. What what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, it's because they develop quantum computers that will have the power to break the encryption, amongst other things. I mean, the, the quantum computing is great for drug discovery. Uh, it's absolutely awesome for that. Um, it's also about optimizing algorithms. Uh, so very quick database searches, um, you know, logistics, traveling salesman problem is, is the most simple one. Uh, which most, you know, uh, like routing planes in on air uh, in most efficient way is something that isn't doable right now. So it just doesn't happen. And because there's no computing power that can deal with that. Now, a simple computing chip can do that, quantum computing. And so amongst, you know, it's not just Google, it's IBM. There's, there's good, you know, probably several dozen companies now uh, in, in the world who are building quantum computers. There are more in the UK. So if you look uh, to give you the names who are doing quantum computers in the UK are Oxford Quantum Circuits, Quantum Motion, Universal Quantum. And that's not everybody, actually. So the, the, there is a lot of going on uh, in, this, in this sector. So we don't know that they, they use different materials. They use slightly different technologies to build those. So the... The difficulty and the beauty of quantum tech is this really different from the previous sort of technological revolution, such as the AI when it came along, and then let's say digital when it came along, internet when it came along, is that it uses different materials. So you're kind of used to that. Anything that's digital is a silicon chip. Now with quantum, it's all sorts of materials that you're going to get, like literally all uh, periodic, not all, but significant portion of periodic table gets involved into that stuff. And there's different things going on there. And so to uh, to continue on the Google supremacy claim, uh, it's largely perceived as the PR trick, which was excellent. And from that perspective, there isn't really a possibility to <laughs> to kind of uh, criticize that. Um, but the point uh, they were trying to make is to show that there is a tip, that they're the tipping point where the quantum computer is more powerful than the normal one in solving one specific task. Um, and whether it comes today or maybe in two years' time, it doesn't matter, it is coming. So you mentioned a couple of parties in the UK that are dealing with quantum technology. Could you tell us a little more about the quantum technology business in the UK? And is it getting more attention now, more funding, maybe more media coverage? So quantum tech in the UK is really vibrant compared to other world. Um, and that's because the UK was one of the first countries who, or maybe the first, um, who started its own quantum technologies program. And it started in 2014, I think. Uh, so that's when they started National Quantum Technologies Program. 
And that means they specifically pull money into this research with the aim to bring commercial products and services out of that. And it was at first focusing really heavily on universities and giving money to do a lot of practical work, not just fundamental science. And that moved into uh, now into next phase uh, where you have a lot of money being given to the Innovate UK, which is funding specifically businesses to do um, to, to do product development and bring those things to market. Um, so we now have the uh, established the National Quantum Computing Centre as well. Um, so we are so EJIC is for example is receiving funding on several grants uh, from Innovate UK specifically to develop our communication type technology. And fundamentally, all quantum tech businesses fall into one of the three categories. So it would be either working with the computing, it would be either communication, which is what we do, or sensing or imaging. And around that, UK has also uh, what's called hubs, the quantum tech hubs, which bring together um, pretty much all researchers um, within that specific area. So there's quantum communications hub, this quantum imaging hub, and this quantum computing hub, or it's called actually network quantum computing hub. Um, and so it brings together all the researchers, but they also has resources for um, companies to come and work with them. So there is a lot of uh, government stimulus in, in these uh, in these programs here in the UK. So it started with, uh, I think the, gov the, the money the government puts is around uh, 200 something million. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but the total projected investment into the sector is about a billion over the course of you know next four to five years. Um, similar programs are now everywhere. So the US has the program, China has the program, uh, you know, Europe has the program, France has its own program, Germany has its own program, and Bavaria has its even own program. So that in total brings government programs to advance quantum technologies to about 21 billion globally. That's what is known. So you mentioned uh, quantum technology 2.0. And you said that it's the equivalent of the iPhone creation. But if quantum technology 2.0 is, let's say, Internet 2.0, what would be the equivalent event of the creation of the iPhone? What would be like the big leap you could see that would take quantum technology to the next level? I suppose the Google wanted to make it was the quantum supremacy claim. Um, not sure it worked. But we, we, it still remains to be seen where, what, what's the tipping point. Um, because you have many players in the, in the sector. It's not. I think it will be a combination of circumstances, such as I don't know um, what happens on government levels, international affairs, um, some level of competition, and at some point we're we're going to see something emerging uh, which will take the breath away, and a lot of that also comes down to perception of things. And one of the well, also challenges of quantum technologies is education, uh, because whilst once you know it, you realize how how you know massive the thing is. If you're you know if you don't know it, and most people don't, uh, it's very easy to ignore. And therefore, uh, once it once it makes inroads, and every you know once we're ready for this, it will happen. Um, how exactly it's going to happen, who knows? But a lot of that will be, I think, more like the artificial intelligence uh, thing that happened, 
I mean, there wasn't a single big bang that happened uh, in AI, but it's now everywhere. Like everything that we do has some impact, even though we don't see it, we don't feel it. But you know, pretty much every everything in our life is impacted by that thing, and it will be similar to uh, to quantum technologies like that as well. So the fact that you can do secure transaction in ten years' time is because we've built quantum communication. And the sometimes no big bank is good. So can you tell us more about the Fraunhofer Center for Applied Photonics? You joined it back in September. So tell us a little more about that and uh, what does it what the membership involves. So Fraunhofer Center for Applied Photonics is the um, UK arm of Fraunhofer. It's a network of research institutes started in Germany, hence uh, the German name. So they operate on their own and their idea is to take uh, technologies which are not very well developed and develop them into commercial, semi-commercial uh, you know, products or services and then you know let somebody else uh, sell it. So that's their remit. So they're, they're kind of non-profit. So we work with Fraunhofer as partners. So we're part of one of the Innovate UK funded projects. And the way these projects typically work is, you know, we have a goal which we need to achieve and everybody have their own little bit of work. And that bit of work, obviously, for us, means that we're advancing our internal agenda and advancing our internal technology, but then we benefit from the collaboration. Um, so in that sense, um, I think it's just really exciting for us to be working with them. Um, they do have very unique expertise in a number of fields, uh, like very niche uh, subjects uh, that we're very interested in. Tell us about your day as the CEO of EGIC. Are you deeply involved in the technical side of the business or have you been working on, on different priorities lately? So my day starts with, uh, with the meditation and, and a cup of coffee, uh, which I like to, you know, brew myself with a little bit of uh, nice uh, specialty coffee. Uh, that's the beginning of my day, uh, pretty much every day. I am still very involved in technical things, uh, although I do not lead most of them. Uh, that's uh, the area which where my partner, Scott uh, Dufferville, who's our CTO, is focusing on mainly. Uh, but I don't think I miss uh, any uh, I, I, you know, I don't skip any of the, you know, the things that are happening there. And certainly, I'm not, you know, doing a lot of engineering work uh, because there, there is no time there. I mean, the job of a CEO is actually fundraising and making sure of the startup and making sure you got the money, you got the, everything in place. Uh, it's about developing partnerships as well. But at the same time, I do like the technology, and therefore, I like to stay involved as much as I can. Egypt is based in Sheffield, and you said that you came to study in Sheffield. What do you think about the city, and particularly about the ecosystem, the climate, about building a deep tech startup? Sheffield is a nice city, but that's a standard phrase everybody says um, because you, you know, otherwise, what would you be doing here? I mean, if it was a crap place to be, I mean, you'd leave. Um, so. At the same time, it's not the best place to do the startup, let's be honest, uh, because it certainly doesn't have the infrastructure um, at the scale that's needed. Uh, it doesn't have the culture to that extent. 
So if you look in largest employers in Sheffield, those are all, there's not even private companies. So that's NHS, that's city council, um, universities then. So it doesn't have enough uh, sort of private sector developed in the city, I think in general, uh, which, is, which is a challenge because then you do lack uh, people with specific mindsets, uh, you know, they're vibing and, you know, they're, they're, it's a different way of doing things when you work in large corporate or large, you know, uh, any organizations and you're actually, as opposed to building dynamic and agile startups. So certainly there are, I mean, I'm not saying that it, it's not existing, um, but it's it, it on the spectrum, it's I think below the average, in fact, uh, of, of what you could get uh, elsewhere. So, I mean, on, on the other end is San Francisco. That's uh, the outlier on the most, you know, densely um, startup place. And that also involves the most densely uh, venture capital place. And that's where all the things happen. You know, it's it's just uh, an explosive explosive mix. Now that that's uh, certainly not the case in Sheffield. And you know, the reason why we're in Sheffield is infrastructure. So and uh, you know, pedigree that we have. Uh, that that's why we're in Sheffield in first place. So it's not because there is uh, you know great capital available, or it's not because there is um, you know some. Uh, in general, you know, startup infrastructure available. Do you think that startup infrastructure and startup ecosystem can be engineered? And in general, do you think that's something that uh, could be could be worked on? And if yes, what are things that could be done uh, to to benefit founders like you and startups like Egypt? Well, you have to leverage, I suppose, the finally the ability to work a lot remotely, and I think there was great benefit to us because you know you can talk. Once people are more open to not necessarily being necessarily next door to you, things become a lot easier. And I guess, you know, my hope and expectation around this would be that instead of being geog geographically, you know, um, located in the future, we'll see that these things are more evenly spread out across just the globe in general. Uh, but instead, you get the concentrations through certain, you know, uh, like online tools, basically. But at the same time, you cannot uh, defy the um, the power of the in-person contact. And that, that still is there. And the density of these contacts, so for example, if you want to have a meetup, or just bump onto somebody on the street, uh, those things are, a lot of that is random events. But if you have many random events, something might happen. So you secured funding earlier this year, despite uh, despite the hardships that a startup might face in Sheffield. Uh, tell us, tell us from, from who the funding was. Tell us what was the process, and in general, share all the non-sensitive details with us. Well, I mean, I, I can't actually share much at this point yet. So we did secure some uh, government funding. That's the public details, and uh, we've talked about this. Um, for a deep tech startup like ours, um, funding is a is a is like a, a very interesting journey. I mean, it's it's a very long journey as well. Because one of the things, you know, people invest in something they understand. And so there is an education element where we all need to understand what's, you know, what's the better route for us. And if it isn't a simple business model, again, it needs to be refined. It needs to be better understood. And uh, great technology is awesome, but, you know, our job is to make great business. 
And so this is about translating that. And so um, the other challenge in any deep tech business, not just ours, but you know, it, it also comes to medical uh, devices, is that it's it's quite expensive to have. Uh, so unlike uh, if you would do you know uh, let's say a digital business of some sort, um, you require a lot of investment, a lot more investment. So it becomes a lot more expensive for for everybody, um, which. In, in turn uh, affects your risk rating as well. So um, I guess in that sense, well, again, we were quite benefiting from the fact that, you know, everybody started using Zoom and so we could have a lot more conversations with people. Um, the downside in COVID is obviously that uh, a lot of funds are focusing, or at least we're focusing. I think now it's a little bit easier, but at the start uh, when everybody was shocked, they were focusing on supporting their existing portfolio companies. So there's, there was a lot less people willing to deploy uh, capital at all uh, at that point. So I think we were slightly unlucky in that point because it was it was time where we just started. So EGIC, uh, so we started EGIC in December last year. So we will be celebrating our first anniversary next week, by the way. Uh, yeah, it will be a week from now. Um, so in that sense, we, uh, we're still on the journey and for a startup like ours, it's a, it's an almost endless journey. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, I'm quite optimistic about it and I think we'll, you'll hear something from us pretty soon, but at this point, uh, I can't say much more than that. I'm, I'm afraid. That sounds amazing. I actually didn't know that you're only you only created last year because when I, you know, when I was checking your website and your LinkedIn page, it seemed that you've done so much and it being in such a short amount of time is, you know, it's actually really, really great to hear. And this brings to my next question. What advice would you give to people in Sheffield that want to found their, their businesses specifically in, in deep tech? What, what would be your key advice and also your advice in regards to funding? I think it would depend depending if they're coming off, if there's a spin-off from the university or they are trying to do it themselves. So typically any deep tech would be some sort of thing that comes out of the university. And there are specific challenges around there and how uh, the universities work in general and what dynamics you get and how you structure your business right. So it's really investable. But the, uh, the main thing is obviously making an investable business and keeping in mind that it has to you know, if you would, if you want to create an awesome startup, it has to have the potential to grow fast, big, like super fast, super big. Um, you need to have uh, market traction. And if you think that your idea is awesome and ideas plenty, nobody cares about them. Well, let's start with that. Um, but you definitely need to make sure that you have people who are prepared to buy it and they are prepared to say something about the fact that yes we want that um because the more difficult technologies the higher the more important the the validation is and so that's something that everybody has to uh, has to be aware if if they want to uh you know to build something uh interesting because it has to be interesting for, for people who are going to buy it would you say you have a role model in terms of a founder or a startup that you want to model yourself or ejic on i wouldn't say there's one specific person uh, in, in this area. Um, I suppose, you know, the people 
you're building uh, rockets are potentially the uh, the most interesting ones. Or the people who kind of went, if you roll back into the 90, early nine, 900s, you know, people who were starting building aviation industry. Uh, that's kind of the thing that the where we are uh, with this. So you have to be patient. Uh, that's the first thing. You do not have to give up your big dream. That's the second thing. Okay, Max. So now I'd like to ask you five questions, which will unfold a little more about yourself, if that's all right with you. Yeah. So what's a book that you would recommend for entrepreneurs to read? I would recommend the a book which I would recommend uh, to everybody to read. I think it's incredibly fundamental uh, for our life in general and understanding why we why things happen the way they do. Is it's a fairly known book. It's called Homo Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. It's a very well-known author, but I would recommend everybody buying a book and doing themselves a favor and reading it carefully. It's and take it as a, your history lesson. I completely agree with you. I was I was blown by Sapiens as well, and also uh, Homo de- uh, Deus. I think was the name of his second. Yeah, book. I mean th- th- those are good uh, follow-ons, uh, but the most conceptual one is the Homo Sapiens. So, how did you come up with the name of Egypt? I didn't. Scott did. Um, <laughs> it's the secure. Well, it's Aegis, which is quantum. Oh, okay. And let's talk about Sheffield uh, a little more. What's one place in Sheffield that you would that you would recommend that everyone should visit? Um, it's a it's a difficult one. Uh, I do have a list of places I think people should go and visit. Um, but um, what Sheffield is good about is is food um, and drink. I mean that's the uh, the kind of things you 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 uh, you you still have here, and they are absolutely awesome. Perhaps one of the best breads in the world um, uh, being done here. Um, but what I would recommend uh, when the lockdown is easing, uh, well, actually pop in before the lockdown, uh, but go check out Elm uh, for the awesome coffee and wine and cheese uh, indulgence. But also go and check out Bench and maybe Joro. Many food and drink places, I like that. So let's say that quantum technology makes a really big leap and we create a time travel machine and you can go back and talk to your 20-year-old self. You have 15 minutes though. So what would you say to him? Uh, sir, you're awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a that's a great, great thing to say. But that's only like a few I seconds. Mean, so. Yeah, and then the next 15 minutes we could celebrate that. You know, that, that's the, I think one of the really important things in life is, is like not being regretful about yourself in its past. I mean, okay, you might have done things you wouldn't be doing now or maybe it was a mistake, but it doesn't matter. It's it's there. You can't change it anymore. Therefore, you shouldn't be wasting your energy on on that, you know, on resentment. Just enjoy yourself. Yes, I completely agree with you. And my last question is about one big, hairy, audacious goal that you have for Egypt. What would that be? I will be the Cisco of Quantum Tech and we'll buy out Cisco as well. That sounds awesome. Well, Max, I had a really great time talking to you. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was uh, it was really awesome. Uh, it was a great chat. And yeah, take care and uh, have Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas to you too. I hope you enjoy the holidays and uh, I'll definitely keep in touch with Egypt and see you later. Thanks very much. Take care.